Section 28 of Dangerous Connections. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dangerous Connections by Pierre Codello de la Clou. Section 28. Letters 136 to 140. Letter the 136th. The Présidente de Tourvel to the Vicomte de Valmont. Doubtless, monsieur, after what passed yesterday, you will not expect me to receive you again, nor doubtless are you at all desirous that I should. This note, therefore, is written less with the intention of begging you to come no more, than to request you to return the letters, which should never have existed, and which, if they may have interested you for a moment as proofs of the infatuation you had occasioned, can only be indifferent to you now that this is dissipated, and that they only express a sentiment which you have destroyed. I admit and confess that I am to blame for having shown in you a confidence of which so many before me have been victims. In that I accuse myself alone. But I believed at least that I had not deserved to be handed over by you to insult and contempt. I believed that in sacrificing all for you, and losing for you alone my rights to my own and others' esteem, I could nevertheless expect to be judged by you not more severely than by the public, whose opinion still discriminates, by an immense interval, between the frail woman and the woman who is depraved. These wrongs, which would be wrongs in the case of anybody, are the only ones I shall mention. I shall be silent on those of love. Your heart would not understand mine. Adieu, monsieur. Paris, 15th November, 17, blank. Letter the 137th. The Vicomte de Valmont to the Présidente de Tourvel. This instant only, madame, has your letter been handed to me. I shuddered as I read it, and it has left me with barely the strength to reply to it what terrible idea then do you form of me oh, doubtless i have my faults and such faults as i shall never forgive myself all my life even were you to cover them with your indulgence but how far from my soul have those ever been with which you reproach me what i humiliate you degrade you when i respect you as much as i cherish you when i have never felt a moment of pride save when you judged me worthy of you you are deceived by appearances and i admit they may have seemed against me but did not your heart contain the wherewithal to contend against them and did it not rebel at the mere thought that it could have a cause of complaint against mine however you believed it so you not only judged me capable of this atrocious madness but you even feared you had exposed yourself to it through your bounty to me oh if you consider yourself to such a degree degraded by your love 
i am myself then all that is vile in your eyes oppressed by the painful emotion which this idea causes me i am losing in repelling it the time i should employ in destroying it i will confess all i am restrained also by quite another consideration must i retrace facts which i would fain obliterate and fix your attention and my own upon a moment of error which i would fain redeem with the rest of my life the cause of which i cannot even now conceive and the memory of which must forever be my humiliation and my despair oh, if my self-accusation is to excite your anger you will not at any rate have to seek far for your revenge it will be sufficient to hand me over to my remorse however who would believe it the first cause of this incident is the supreme charm which i experience when i am by you it was this which caused me too long to forget important business which could not be postponed i left you too late and did not find the person of whom i was in search i hoped to meet him at the opera and my visit there was equally unsuccessful emilie whom i met there whom i had known in days when i was far from knowing you or love emilie was without her carriage and begged me to set her down at her house not a dozen yards away and to this i consented but it was just then that i met you and i felt immediately that you would be driven to hold me guilty the fear of displeasing or of grieving you is so potent with me that it was bound to be and indeed was speedily noticed i admit even that it induced me to try and persuade the girl not to show herself this precaution of delicacy was fatal to love accustomed like all those of her condition never to be certain of an empire ever usurped save by means of the abuse which they allow themselves to make of it emilie was by no means willing to allow so splendid an occasion to slip the more she saw my embarrassment increase the more she affected to show herself and her mad merriment and i blush to think that you could for a moment have thought yourself its object was only caused by the cruel pain i experienced which itself was but due to my respect and love so far doubtless i am more unfortunate than guilty and those wrongs which would be wrongs in the case of anybody and the only ones you mention those wrongs being wiped away cannot be a cause of reproach to me 
but tis in vain you pass over in silence those of love i shall not maintain a like silence concerning them i have too great an interest in breaking it <laughs> in the confusion in which i am thrown by this unaccountable deviation it is not without extreme sorrow that i can bring myself to recall the memory of it penetrated with a sense of my failings i would consent to pay the penalty for them or i would wait for time my eternal tenderness and repentance to bring my pardon but how can i be silent when what is left for me to say concerns your delicacy do not think i seek a pretence to excuse or palliate my fault i confess my guilt but i do not confess i will never admit that this humiliating error can be looked upon as a fault in love nay what can there be in common between a surprise of the senses a moment's self-oblivion soon followed by shame and regret and a pure sentiment which can only be born in a delicate soul and sustained by esteem and of which finally happiness is the fruit do not profane love thus above all fear to profane yourself by uniting in the same point of view things which can never be confounded leave vile and degraded women to dread a rivalry which they feel may be established in their own despite and to know the pangs of a jealousy as humiliating as it is cruel but do you turn away your eyes from objects which might sully their glance and pure as the divinity punish the offence without feeling it oh, but what penalty will you impose on me that is more grievous than that which i undergo what can be compared to the regret at having displeased you the despair at having grieved you the overwhelming idea of having rendered myself less worthy of you you are absorbed in punishing me and i ask you for consolations not that i deserve them but because they are necessary to me and they can only come to me from you if on a sudden forgetful of our love and setting no further price on my happiness you wish on the contrary to hand me over to eternal sorrow you have the right strike but if more indulgent or more sensitive you remind yourself once more of those tender sentiments which united our hearts of that voluptuousness of the soul always being born again 
and always felt more keenly of those sweet and fortunate days which each of us owed to the other all those benefits of love which love alone procures perhaps you will prefer the power of renewing to that of destroying them what can i say more i have lost all and lost it by my fault but i can retrieve all by your bounty it is for you to decide now i will add but one word only yesterday you swore to me that my happiness was quite secure so long as it depended on you oh, madame will you abandon me to-day to an eternal despair paris fifteenth november seventeen letter the hundred and thirty-eighth the vicomte de valmont to the marquise de merteuil i insist my charming friend no i am not in love and it is not my fault if circumstances force me to play the part only consent and return you shall soon see for yourself how sincere i am i made proof of it yesterday and it cannot be destroyed by what occurs to-day know then i was with the tender prude and was quite without any other business for the little volange in spite of her condition was to pass the whole night at madame v's infant's ball my lack of employment had at first inclined me to prolong the evening and i had even demanded a slight sacrifice with this view but hardly was it granted when the pleasure i had promised myself was disturbed by the idea of this love which you persist in ascribing to me or at least in reproaching me with so much so that i felt no other desire except that of being able to assure myself and convince you that it was pure calumny on your part i made a violent resolve therefore and under some trivial pretext left my fair much surprised and doubtless even more grieved for myself i went tranquilly to meet emilie at the opera and she could testify to you that until this morning when we separated no regret came to trouble our pleasures i had however fine cause enough for uneasiness had not my utter indifference saved me from it for you must know that i was hardly four doors away from the opera with emilie in my carriage when that of the austere puritan drew up exactly beside mine and a block which occurred left us for nearly half a quarter of an hour side by side 
we could see each other as clearly as at noon and there was no means of escape nor is this all i took it into my head to confide to emilie that it was the woman of the letter you will remember perhaps that piece of folly and that emilie was the desk <laughs> note letters the forty-sixth and forty-seventh she had not forgotten it and as she is a laughter-loving creature she could not be at peace until she had examined at her ease this piece of virtue as she said and this with peals of such scandalous laughter as would have angered any one still this is not all the jealous woman sent to my house the very same night i was not there but in her obstinacy she sent a second time with orders to wait for me as soon as i had made up my mind to sleep with emilie i had sent back my carriage with no other order to the coachman but to return and fetch me this morning and as on reaching home he found the messenger of love he told him very simply that i should not be back that night you can well imagine the effect of this news and that on my return i found my dismissal announced with all the dignity proper to the occasion thus this adventure which in your view was never to be determined could have been finished as you see this morning if it is not finished that is not as you will believe because i set any price on its continuation it is first because i did not think it decent that i should let myself be quitted and again because i wished to reserve for you the honour of the sacrifice i answered this severe note therefore in a long letter full of sentiment i gave lengthy reasons and relied on love to make them acceptable i have already succeeded i have just received a second note still very rigorous and confirming the eternal rupture as it ought to be the tone of it however is not the same above all i am not to be seen again this resolution is announced four times in the most irrevocable fashion i concluded thereby that i was not to lose a moment before i presented myself i have already sent my chasseur to win over the porter and in an instant i shall go myself to have my pardon sealed for in sins of this nature there is only one formula which carries a general absolution and that can only be performed at an audience adieu my charming friend i fly to make trial of this great event paris fifteenth november seventeen letter the hundred and thirty ninth 
the president de Tourvel to Madame de Rosemonde. How I reproach myself, my tender friend, for having spoken to you too much and too soon of my passing sorrows. I am the cause if you are grieved at present. Those sorrows which you derive from me still endure, and I—I I am happy. Yes, all is forgotten, pardoned. Rather, let me say, all is redeemed. Peace and delight have succeeded to this state of sorrow and anguish. O oh, joy of my heart, how can I express you? Valmont is innocent. No one is guilty who loves so well. Those serious offensive wrongs for which I reproached him with so much bitterness he had not committed, and if on a certain point my indulgence was necessary, had I not also my injustice to repair? I will not enter into the details of the facts or reasons which justify him. Perhaps even the mind would but ill appreciate them. It is the heart alone which is capable of feeling them. If, however, you were to suspect me of weakness, I would summon your judgment to the aid of my own. With men, you have said yourself, infidelity is not inconstancy. Tis not that I do not feel that this distinction, which opinion justifies in vain, none the less wounds our delicacy. But of what should mine complain when that of Valmont suffers even more? For the very wrong which I forget do not believe that he forgives himself, or is consoled. And yet how greatly has he retrieved this trivial error by the excess of his love and my happiness! Either my felicity is greater, or I know the value of it better, since I have been afraid that I had lost it. But what I may tell you is that, if I felt I had sufficient strength to support again sorrows as cruel as those I have just undergone, I should not deem I paid too high a price for the excess of happiness I have tasted since. Oh, my tender mother, scold your inconsiderate daughter for having grieved you by too much hastiness. Scold her for having judged rashly and calumniated him whom she should ever adore. But whilst recognizing her imprudence, see her happy, and enhance her joy by sharing it. Paris, 15th November, 17, blank. Letter the 140th, The Vicomte de Valmont to the Marquise de Merteuil. How comes it, my lovely friend, that I receive no reply from you? Yet my last letter seems to me to deserve one. These three days I could have received it, and I am awaiting it still. I, indeed, I am vexed. I shall not speak to you at all, therefore, of my grand affairs that the reconciliation had its full effect, that instead of reproaches and distrust, it but called forth fresh proofs of fondness, that it is I, at present, who receive the excuses and reparation due to my suspected candour. I shall tell you no word of this and but for the unexpected occurrence of last night i should not write to you at all but as that concerns your pupil who will probably not be in a condition to tell you of it herself at any rate for some time to come i have charged myself with the task for reasons which you may or may not guess madame de tourvel has not engaged my attention for some days past 
and as these reasons could not exist in the case of the little volange i became more attentive to her thanks to the obliging porter i had no obstacles to overcome and we led your pupil and i a comfortable and regular life but habit leads to negligence during the first days we could never take precautions enough for our safety we trembled even behind the bolts yesterday an incredible piece of forgetfulness caused the accident of which i have to inform you and if for my part i escaped with a fright it has cost the little girl considerably more we were not asleep but were in that state of repose and abandonment which succeeds to pleasure when we heard on a sudden the door of the room open i at once seized my sword as much for my own defence as for that of our common pupil i advanced and saw no one but indeed the door was open as we had a light i made a search but found no living soul i remembered then that we had forgotten our ordinary precautions and no doubt the door which had been only pushed to or badly shut had opened of itself on rejoining my timid companion with a view to calming her i no longer found her in the bed she had fallen or hidden herself betwixt the bed and wall she was stretched there without consciousness with no other movements than violent convulsions you may imagine my embarrassment i succeeded however in pulling her back in the bed and even in bringing her to but she had hurt herself in the fall and it was not long before she felt the effects pains in the loins violent colic pains symptoms even less ambiguous had soon enlightened me as to her condition but to acquaint her with it i had first to tell her of that in which she was before <laughs> for she had no suspicion of it never perhaps before her did any one preserve so much innocence after doing so well all that is necessary to get rid of it oh this one loses no time in reflection but she lost a great deal in bewailing herself and i felt it was time to come to a resolution i agreed with her then that i would go at once to the physician and to the surgeon of the family and informing them they would be sent for would confide the whole truth to them under a promise of secrecy that she on her side should ring for her waiting-maid that she should or should not take her into her confidence as she liked but that she should send her to seek assistance and forbid her above all to awake madame de volanges 
a natural and delicate attention on the part of a daughter who fears to cause her mother anxiety oh, i made my two visits and my two confessions with what speed i could and thence returned home nor have i gone abroad since but the surgeon whom i knew before came at noon to give me an account of his patient's condition i was not mistaken but he hopes that if no accident occurs nothing will be noticed in the house the maid is in the secret the physician has given the complaint a name and this business will be settled like a thousand others unless it be useful for us to speak of it hereafter but have we still any interests in common you and i your silence would lead me to doubt it i should not even believe it at all did not my desire lead me to seek every means of preserving the hope of it adieu my lovely friend i embrace you though i bear you a grudge paris twenty first november seventeen end of section twenty eight